Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dion Brown, and you are listening to Man vs. Brand. Uh, so I've been talking a lot about resets and rebranding uh, in the past uh, few weeks, uh, interpersonally with the people in my network and as a part of what I want to offer for this podcast. And so in that, uh, I offered my own take on what it is to brand and to say what you mean to say. And the alternate to that, which is you have the right and the permission to pivot if necessary. You can determine the direction of your personal and professional brand, right? Everyone has the opportunity and the right to determine that what they're currently doing, uh, they want to pursue in a different way. So with that said, I wanted to talk to uh, two folks who uh, are consistently from my opinion in process of uh self-actualizing of becoming their their best selves in terms of their personal and professional careers uh one person is Troy Brown the other is Sean Rogers and so we're going to talk to Sean about uh his whole process what his life has looked like uh how his personal life has affected his professional and vice versa we're going to get into uh some of the nuggets that you guys can take uh from what it is to to uh, live a life where you're consistently evolving and growing, uh, and sometimes devolving and sometimes not growing and being stagnant, right? And what is, what does that look like? And, and how can you, uh, when you're going through that process, understand where you are in that process and, and understand some of the signals of when it's time for you to get out of it and get into your next best thing. So, uh, with that said, I'm going to start with the intro and we're going to take it from there in three, two, one. Still trying to figure out the keys to life? Well, according to The Locks, it's money, power, and respect. Learn to gain or grow these three concepts with Dion Brown and his podcast. With 20 years of expertise in guiding and coaching businesses and brands at the highest level, Dion is having the conversations that can lead to your big breakthrough. Welcome, and let's begin. All right, so uh, I'm here with Sean Rogers, and uh, Sean, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, what's up? My name is Sean Rogers, owner of Your Body, Your Machine. So so talk to me, what's Your Body, Your Machine? Your Body, Your Machine is a company I started about, uh, well, almost 20 years ago. <laughs> okay, and, and uh, what's the philosophy of the company? Like, why did you start it? What, what got you there? Well, basically, what it means is your body is all you need. A lot of times we think that we need a gym to get in shape, which you really don't need. Being from a military background, I've learned that everything that you need, God has already provided. You just know how you need to know how to use it and make it work for you. So after leaving the military and about at about ten years after leaving the military, I started your body your machine. Okay, and, and why uh, why did you start it? Well, um, like I said, after ten years of leaving the military, I was uh, working downtown as managing a restaurant. I went back to civilian life, and I I thought I was in shape. Okay. Until nine eleven hit. Got it. <laughs> so so nine eleven hits. Uh, you were in the military before. Yep. You were in the restaurant business, and uh, you nine uh, eleven hits, and you find out that um, you may not be in the right place in your life. I found out that the twin towers was coming down, and I needed to run for my life, and I wasn't doing a very good job. Got That's it. What I found out. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, so you're at nine eleven. You're yes. you're you're running away from the buildings. Uh, I imagine you don't really know what's happening. You're you're trying to to figure it out, but but you're sprinting in a direction, and 
Uh, you're winded. You're what, what's happening here? I'm winded. I'm tired. I'm in my early thirties. I'm winded. I'm tired. And I always I thought, okay, well, you know what? You look good. You still wear size thirty two. You weigh one hundred seventy five pounds. You're five seven. You're pretty fit. You do a few push ups every day. You're fine. So this happens. And and the push up stuff comes from the the military background or it's military. Okay, okay. And vanity. <laughs> no. <laughs> everybody like a big chest nice song okay uh, yeah. all right cool so so what what so let's back up a bit what got you to the military i was a bad child i was a very very bad child i dropped out of high school at a very young age and i needed discipline okay and it gave me the discipline that i needed and the funny thing is it also opened my eyes to the fact that i love exercise because when i joined the military i was 265 pounds i left at 165 so when did you join? I joined in 1990. So you were how old? I was 19. 19. So so you dropped out, let's say, between 15 to 17, and then joined the military around 19. I dropped out of high school at 15, actually. Okay. I moved out of my parents' house at 16. Okay. I worked for, I've always worked for myself. I, I used, I've, I've been working since I was 13. My parents... They were, they are, they were believers in hard work. So I've been working since I was 13 years old. So I've been living on my own since I was 16 years old. So I was paying rent, doing all those things. However. Wait, hold on, hold on. You were paying rent at 13? No, I was paying rent at 16. At 16? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because you said you started working at 13. I started working so at I thought, I thought you were paying rent when you started working. Okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Go. So you were, so you were paying rent at 16. Yes. Uh, who gave you a lease? My aunt. Oh, come on, auntie. I live in the Hollis, Queens. Shout no, out to shout out was, to the good aunts in the world. But good I mean, aunts she, make the world go around. She was good, but don't play with her money, man. But oh, she was good. Listen, she made, you, she made you pay rent. So <laughs> she clearly didn't pay. Well, you know, it, it did teach me responsibility in that sense. Like my parents always instilled in me responsibility when it comes to hard work. However, so uh, wait, so so how were you then? How were you? A, so you were a hardworking bad kid. I was a hardworking bad kid. <laughs> listen, that's a lot of work at at, at sixteen. Well, I came from a work hard, party hard mentality. Got it. Okay. All right. Cool. So, uh, so you enter the military. You do the military for how long? I was in the military for four years. Four years. All right. So, um, what did it look like to go from hardworking bad to uh, regimented, disciplined, not so bad? Because I don't know if anyone ever goes to good, but you kind of get to not so bad. You know. For me, I gotta say, like for me, it was it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because the truth of the matter is, because of where I was from, there was no there was really no discipline. Although, yes, my parents instilled hard work, but they they also they what they did not instill was saving money, um, self control, things like that. I was taught that whatever whatever you do with your money, you do with your money. You can do whatever you want and things like that. So when I got to the military, it instilled a sense of self control pride and discipline and it taught me something that was bigger than me and that was the cause and at the time the cause was the military got it so uh, so basically um they say that people are motivated uh by either reward or by punishment right and so um, reward is I want to buy a second house. Uh, punishment is I don't want to lose my house, right? So, so folks will typically be motivated by one of those two factors, right? And so in your case, it initially started because 
um, the punishment just didn't seem like it was sustainable. But from that, you understood the reward of being a part of something and getting discipline. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a, a fair statement. Okay, cool. So, so, uh, what did you what did you learn about yourself that you didn't know about yourself uh, during this military time? I learned that it's not necessary to be heard or seen. It's okay to fall in line and to be quiet and do the things that you need to do. I learned to humble myself, which is uh, there's something that that's you know that's lacking in today's society for kids. I learned to just humble myself and be quiet for the first time. Got it. Uh, this is probably the most unhumble person that I know. So I I'm gonna I'm gonna let we're gonna let that ride. We're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna figure out when he pivoted back into unhumbleness from this humble beginning. Uh, so so catch, catch uh, stay tuned for that. All right. So so you're in the military and you learned humility. You learned humility when you're in the military. And and so and so you came out of the military and what did you do? Well, when I left the military, I went back into the restaurant business. My parents owned two stores for restaurants. So I went back into the restaurant business, and I started managing restaurants again. And uh, wait, so when you say again, you were managing your parents' restaurant? Yes. Okay, got it. Yes, I've been in management since I was sixteen. Like I said, I've always worked. So my first job, I was thirteen years old as a dishwasher. By the time I was fourteen years old, I became a waiter. By the time I was fifteen, I was already managing one of my parents' stores. So I'm so glad that you're a past an age where, you know, we we can call child endangerment (laughs) because clearly you were not supposed to be doing any of those jobs uh, at that age. So we're past that point in life. So so thankfully, we we all have OSHA guidelines on the walls and in places uh, to prevent that. If some of these kids worked as hard as I did and did the things that I did. They would not be going through all the craziness they're going through. But, as hard as it was. But wait a minute. You said that it you... Did, it did. It, listen, one thing I never struggled with was making a dime. One but, thing I never struggled with was paying my bills. Yes, but, rent, but, so. but, 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 what I think what we're, we're, we're paralleling, um, and I want to get back to, to you, uh, exiting the military, entering, uh, the hospitality space and then yes, getting into, um, fitness. Uh, but what we're paralleling is, uh, the discipline that the military instilled, um, versus whether work as a way of earning money can instill the same discipline. And, and I think that it's an interesting idea because, um, you see in societies where, uh, people enter the workforce being younger, uh, that they typically do display things like discipline, uh, but it it doesn't necessarily allow for a lot of personal growth no. because okay. you're, you're you're so focused on um, being a part of this bigger thing before you've really uh, determined who you are, are as an individual, yes, right? But let's be clear: it depends on where you're working at. When you're working for the food industry, when you're a waiter, waitress, bartender, so on and so forth. Is what we call fast, transient money. Because it's fast, people typically don't have the respect that they should have for the money that they're making. So it does depend on where you're working. Wait, isn't I mean, transient like homelessness? Yeah. Yeah? No? I don't know. All right, fine. So. We don't, we don't, we're going to just let I that rock. So. We're going we to let that rock. All right. So, so No, no, and I, I mean that because I think transient does speak to those types of roles, right? I think that – and I'm, I'm playing with the homelessness. But I think that transient typically in, indicates – um, some level of um, non-structured roles, right? Yes. It's, I think it's oftentimes why 
uh, you find that um, people who were bartenders didn't really have to be regulated. There were there wasn't a lot of guidelines there. Like exactly. people who were on the run could be bartenders potentially because um, there was a lack of regulation there, and so it was a transient or a uh, a lack of structural structurally managed way specifically with the irs um to make money uh and also to add value to a community or neighborhood yeah. bottom line is when you work in the food industry a lot of times there's a lack of self-control is he, did he bottom goes, line me yeah did he bottom, bottom line me because it's, it's, that's, it's, that's it's a lot that's a lot that is matters when you work in the food industry a lot of times because you're not regulated you do what you want to do with the money I mean, a lot of ways, waitresses, they drink it up, they snort it up, they do all kinds of things. So. Yikes, that's why they're transient. So, let's, <laughs> let's get back, let's get back, and that, that's nothing to any Move of the, the food service people. No. You guys are amazing, just not in his version. Uh, so listen, uh, what I, what, so, so you, you were, you exited the, um, the hospitality space, yeah. you were running for your life. Yeah. Uh, trying to evade the towers coming down, yes, and you decided that you would uh, start a company um, that the philosophy behind it was that you didn't have to be reliant on machines, uh, just your body to become your best uh, self. Yeah, that's that's the fast version. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what it is. Okay. All right. So um, how long is did the company last? Well, the company's still in business now. Um, I did close up a couple of times after COVID. COVID was really very difficult for us. So we closed up at least three times, but COVID was the biggest hit. Um, it's very difficult anyway in running a gym in New York City because you're competing with all the big gyms. So pause, pause, pause. Because if, if your philosophy is that you don't need a gym, how did you end up in gym spaces? Not gym spaces. I didn't end up in a brick and mortar, meaning you own a store. You know what I mean? You, you sure. got masks and things like that. Um, so when I started the company, when I started the company, I started Good Morning America in a dressing room with one mat and resistance bands, no gym space at all. So, so does the so if you're in a gym space, does the philosophy of the company still hold? That yes. that you don't yes. need equipment yes. in order to be because that's what you said in the beginning, yes, right? Is does. that is that you, the philosophy was uh, you don't need equipment, you don't need a gym. Um, yes. To be in your physical space, but we're also hearing that there is an element of a gym. So, yes. so how do you how work. do you how do you rectify the two? Well, no. Well, bottom line is whether you're in a gym or not. The way my trainers were trained, we were trained to use the body weight first, natural body weight first. All the equipment in the gym was a complement, got it, not a necessity. So, got it. To be clear, there was there was a program that I designed myself to make sure that my trainers knew how to use the body. Completely. So they didn't have to rely on a machine or wait for a machine because you want your clients to know you don't need that. And we would sign them home to do at home without the gym. All right. So I was one of those people that was assigned to be uh, a, yeah, uh, a training person with uh, <laughs> Sean in your body, your machine. Yeah, you I think I went through uh, about, uh, I don't know, I want to say like four trainers uh, during the time that I was there. Um, I am uh, a particular type of person, and so uh, you know, energy is is all about it. And so I think that uh, myself, uh, Sean, uh, Ryan's another person that he was uh, working with at the time, uh, yes. and possibly maybe one more. Yes. Uh, and 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 those guys were were great guys, and we did some really cool things um, in the park, in the gym, uh, you know, in different places. But I, I think it's fair to 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 
um, speak on that point because um, if your philosophy says one thing and you're in a different space, then people need to understand what that looks like. Well, and, the reason why we're in a different space is because some people think that you need that. So just because you're in this space does not mean you can't open your eyes to what it is that you actually do. Okay, so, so then, just be clear, you can't when it's when it's 15 degrees below zero, people want to be inside. Got so it. if you're inside the gym, does not mean you have to use the machines in the gym. Got it. So so what was what was then hard about COVID if if your philosophy, for lack of a better term, was transient, right? Where you could just you could move and shift and and so what was what was hard for um, for you during the COVID time, because a lot of, I think people in the fitness space, um, struggled with it. Some people found their course, I think, depending on what they were delivering, but, um, what was difficult for you in that space? What's difficult is when you are paying $7,000 a month and you, and the gym is closed and people. Want to okay. So you're paying, you're paying 7,000 a month for the gym space. Yes. Okay. Okay, cool. All right, got it. Got so it. So when you're paying $7,000 a month in rent and the gym is closed, that's hard for everybody. Got it. <laughs> not just, not and not just, and be clear, not just as a gym owner, not just as the owner of the gym, but it's hard for your staff. Okay, so, so what we're talking about here, um, to clarify, is not just the fact that you started a company that was focused on training. You also... Um, funded uh, a physical space to hold that company. And in. I had nine trainers. Got it. Just, okay. Yes. yes. All right. Cool. So, uh, so, so, COVID happened, and uh, were you guys able to pivot to virtual? Yeah. So that's what we did. Some was pivot to virtual. Some did not. The truth of the matter is, not everybody's good with virtual. Okay. Right. Not everybody's good with radio. And, and is that is that the is that well? You're doing a good job, by the way. So I just of want course. you to I want you to know that I'm you're made for you're this. you're doing a good job. By the way, you're killing it right now. <laughs> um. So so uh, when you say people were not, are, are, do not do well in virtual, some, um, some. are are you talking about on the training side or are you talking about on the client side? On the training side and and both because some clients they want the one on one experience. The truth of the matter is even even now now some people have been able to pivot some trainers. Let's do it this way. Some trainers have been able to pivot and, and they're able to carry their clients forth and some have even made even more money. So so what do you what's the what's the determining factor? Honestly, it really does depend on your client base. And if your if your clients truthfully believe in, in your vision and your abilities, then you can pivot. However, it does take it does take serious confidence for you to do what you did at the gym online. Understand? Because your clients First of all, they're not going to want to pay the same thing because it's online. So sometimes you have to take a pay cut. You got to step out of your way to do that. It, well, it, well it, let's it, let's backtrack. Let's backtrack a little bit. Let's backtrack a little bit. So, so what I'm hearing is is that um, in a space where uh, the same equipment isn't available to everyone, so there's not. And eat, uh, uh, an equitable access to materials that some people are able to shift their workout and leverage the reliance. Actually, no, no, it's not the same equipment. What's your what? what it's it's the one on one. Wait, it's wait, no, no. I, I, wait, hold on. But I, I think you're. I think you 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 are. You sort of interrupted before I got to my point. Oh, so no, no worries. Um. So in a space where uh, everyone is relying on the same equipment, meaning that you have 
nine trainers in a gym. So I'm going to use your business example right. uh, as an example. You said some were able to and some were not. Yes. So what that means is is before everyone had access to the same equipment. There was it, there was uh, an equitable access to equipment. Then when COVID hit, access to that equipment was no longer available. Some people were able to then shift uh, their uh, focus to a virtual uh, setting and were able to leverage their clients' belief in them, getting them to their goal as a way of uh, continuing the training regimen while some people just weren't able to pivot because the same uh, access to uh, the material space, whatever, wasn't made available to them because the COVID was there. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, close, but I still say... No, because you started with yeah, so yeah, I, I just want to go. Close, I, 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 I want to keep no, with that. Yeah, and I want to be clear because the truth of the matter is, people want their trainers near them. They want to see them. They want to see them count. They want to hear them count. They want that support. They want that emotional support with them inside the gym. Again, the name of my company is called Your Body Your Machine. So it's not so much the equipment as it is the personal professional experience of having that trainer with you. Okay, okay? so so here's so the deal. Wait, wait, hold on. So here's the deal, though. Um, I, I met a lot of folks who trained who were able to successfully train um, during COVID. And I asked them a similar so question, a right? So I asked them what, what allowed them to do that. And, and let me share with you what they shared with me, right? So they said that, uh, one, it was because uh, they had a deeply personal relationship with their clientele. That, two... Um, they were, because they had that deeply personal relationship, they understood, uh, specifically what the goals of their client was and how to translate those goals, uh, into an out of gym experience. Absolutely. Uh, and three was that they were, uh, they embraced technology and systems in a way that allowed them to schedule more effect effectively. They were able to do more clients at any given time because they didn't have to physically occupy the space. So if they had to shift from gym to gym, they didn't have to travel. So yeah. that, in essence, allowed them to be more effective with time. The people that weren't able to, um, they typically complained that they didn't have access to the same level of equipment, exactly. that all of that their clients all didn't have uh, private gyms in their buildings, exactly. and that they really struggled with the technology part of it. Exactly. And that, and that really is the gist of it. And that is, that is the difference between, I always say this to my trainers even now, that is the reason why they're still training. Because we survived COVID. They survived COVID. And it's not because of the gym. It's because of our relationships. It's because of professionalism. It's because of what you have to offer. All right. So so for anyone who's listening, I think what we pulled from this is the idea that, um, that in any given profession, whether it's uh, training or something else that you really have to focus on uh, building relationships with people uh, because without those relationships, you really don't have a sustainable business, right? And when when uh, all of the, the equalizing factors are no longer present, then it's really the people who have forged uh, bridges of trust and uh, and and a reliance on their 
uh, value proposition as their way of engaging with their clients, audience, customers, whatever the business looks like. Uh, you have to have that relationship and that relationship has to feel one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. It has to feel uh, very interpersonal. It has to feel very intimate. Um, and and if that is something that you fundamentally have, going back to the start of the conversation, is if that's something that you have and that's some a practice and a discipline that you have uh, put into your business, your business model, your personal philosophy, then it doesn't really matter what you pivot into. It doesn't matter what you rebrand into. It doesn't matter how you reset. Uh, you'll be successful anyway because you'll get the buy-in of the people who you need to buy into what you're doing in order for you to get to the places that you need to be. So you don't have to be a subject matter expert at everything. You really need to understand the fundamentals, know what you're doing, but really have a deep understanding of the people that you're working with so that you can develop the best system, best product, best anything for them. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. I, I think that, uh, you know, I, uh, I, had, I had quite a few trainings. And some of them had 65,000 uh, Instagram followers. And some had 75,000 Instagram followers. I probably had 17. And I built my business on my work ethic and word of mouth. That's it. And those who had 65,000 Instagram followers, they still couldn't get the clients in the door. So it's not just about the followers. It's about the people who actually invest in you and believe in you. Just because they like your picture don't mean they like your work. Well, well let, me, let me put that. So let it's, me... it's really important that you... You put your, your you put your energy behind what you believe in and your brand. Well, let me put that into context. Let me put that into context because uh, I think that that Sean brings up a great point, uh, specifically about uh, leveraging individuals. Um, but I think that there's a slight sort of overlap of experience, right? So, so word of mouth at this stage of the game is a social media game right so word, word of mouth is a, a social media game so so you can have 17 followers and have a strong referral system so when, now, now i'm going to start using the word referral versus word of mouth right so you can have a strong referral system um and only have 17 followers now if you play the game of ratios if you have 65,000 people the idea is that you should convert some of those into doing what you actually want them to do Absolutely. now if you have a large database and you can't actually catalyze them to do anything for you then that database isn't working for you they're not working with you they're only interested in the part of you that they're interested in and they're not really useful to you in a way that it affects some change or adds some value yeah. so so i think that it's it's important to understand that um that whether you have 17 or seventy-five thousand, it doesn't matter what ultimately matters is how effective you are in actually moving those people having 17 influencers uh who are influential in their networks can be just as powerful as having 75,000 people but 75,000 people shows some level of consistency and growth and scale and so so if you have that you know if you're able to then utilize those people to do what you need them to do hats off to you absolutely those 75,000 people are actually investing in you besides hitting like then yes hats off to you absolutely but they're just hitting like they just hit it right. Yeah. I, I don't really I don't really know who that goes I, out I, to. I'm the same person. <laughs> I'm gonna break it down for you. 
Okay, so so let's 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 talk. Let's get back to to, to where we are. So we're we're right we're at the point in which you're in your body, your machine. Yes, uh, that thing is moving and shaking. COVID happens. Uh, the the gym ownership portion uh, becomes at risk. Uh, people are pivoting to a uh, a virtual setting. And and what do you? What's happening in your life? What's happening in your personal I have professional space? I'm on the verge of in my mid fifties. Okay. Early fifties. Excuse me. You're on, you're on yes, being on the verge of your mid fifties actually does put you in your early fifties. Yeah. And moving on. No, so I had to decide what I was gonna do because my plan was always to retire. Uh, about two years ago now. My plan was to retire. So when it happened, it happened at the worst possible moment in my life. And um, I had to decide what I was going to do because I always thought, okay, you retire turn it over to the trainers and I want to be clear it has not been an easy role even pre-COVID wait so so when did when did you imagine yourself retiring what age because if you if you planned on handing it over to the trainers when did you at think 50. you were going to retire versus at what point did you think you were going to retire at 50 at 50 Jesus. at 50 okay so so two years ago would place us at the beginning of COVID 2020 ish right yeah. so so you and you and you're in the way that you were approaching it you were going to retire and uh what you would be a non-operating owner well no well i'm not sure what non-operating owner means okay so so non-operating oh, non-operating yeah, owner yeah. is is someone who who isn't de- who doesn't deal in the day-to-day logistics and operations of the company as the owner but that has some level of investment and receives uh, ownership stake and revenue from the company's operation. So if the company is profitable, then the owner gets paid. If the company loses, then the owner has lost some level of money that they have invested in the company, hoping it to recoup it the next year. But fundamentally, that owner does not have uh, their hands in the day-to-day operations, whereas an, an operating owner does. So an operating owner is someone who is there, they're looking at the books, they're signing checks, yeah, they're doing I'm that, where a non-operating be, doesn't do that. No, I'm still going to be an operating owner. The only difference was I was going to retire from training because as you well know, you were one of my clients, I had a ton of clients. Okay, so, so you weren't going to retire from, from the business. From, no, actually, you were going to retire from training. From training. Got it. Okay, that, that's a good clarifying yeah. point to make, right? Because yeah. because if, if you're listening to this and you're you're hearing it, right, then yeah. hearing someone say that they're going to retire at fifty is is aspirational goals, right? And so defining what that looks like yeah. is an important clarification for folks just when they're thinking about their own life journey. Because physically, we use our body. We use our body a lot as trainers, and. The truth of the matter is, you get a certain age, you have to you have to decide what it is that you that you're doing and and where you're going. You cannot uh, just be spinning and going around in the same circles forever. So I decided at 50 years old I would stop training, but continue to run my business. Okay, that was the plan. So so I'm gonna I'm gonna dissect what you just said for a sec. Um, you use the term spinning in circles. Yes. And so at what point? Did you determine that the business that you started and were undertaking as a trainer and owner and a gym owner, that the training part was the part in which you saw as spinning in circles? 
when did that happen? Was it physical? Was it mental? Was it emotional? Like when did you when did you get the realization that that part of the business no longer was going to work for you long term? It's physical because you have to think about your own health. You have to think about the things that you need to do for yourself, and it is it takes time to do that. When you pour into people, when, when if you really are a trainer, a real trainer, and you really care about people's health, then it does take a lot of investment. And you pour into them physically, mentally, and spiritually, and it takes a lot. And stop smiling. Dude. Yo, because because I swear to God, he just counts on the sideline. Like I don't even know what this man talk about. He just be counting on the sideline. Just be counting. I, listen, I, Five, I, four, I, I, I keep the three. Real, like, <laughs> I keep the real. Like so, but the truth of the matter is, you have to ask yourself. What are you pouring into yourself? If you're training 12 hours a day, when do you have time to take care of you? When do you have time to rest, sleep, things like that? You can't just say it. You are, you have to actually live it as well. So let's and talk about that. Let's wait. No, no, let, wait. Hold on. No, no, because I want to. I want to get on this topic. Let's talk about that, right? If if you're training 12 hours a day, yes. How much time are you attributing to your personal life? How much time are you attributing to working and growing your business versus uh, being in your business? So I'm going to define it super quick. So being in your business is something that I define as actually doing the work that it takes to run your business, which is the training parts, all of that. Working on your business is getting new clientele. Um Ensuring that you're seeing growth, uh, ensuring that, you know, that new trainers are consistently coming in or that you're rating the trainers to ensure that the experiences are well. Right. So how much time did you devote, if 12 hours of your day was typically to training, how much time were you doing the personal stuff? And then how much time were you actually working on your business in a 24-hour period? And that's just the thing. It becomes very, very difficult. So you find, you say to yourself, oh, I'm going to try to spend two or three hours working on my books. I'm going to spend time doing this, time doing that. But the problem is, it, sometimes it becomes so difficult because trainers cancel, your trainers won't show up, and then you got to cover them, you got to cover the client. So it becomes very, very difficult. So you go from doing, you promise yourself that you'll do 30% of the time and focus on your books and this, that, the other, but something will always inevitably happen that will make it very, very difficult to get it done. So um, it's a very good question. It's very difficult, especially when you're a sole uh, gym owner. You don't, you don't you don't have the book you don't have the doctrine of you are supposed to club and arresting them so you really do have to figure it out as you go along you got to figure out exactly how you're gonna make this happen so so as someone and I know that this is gonna resonate with some folks right because um I have uh I have worked in in a couple different spaces where um a a formal higher education wasn't necessary for someone to be successful, like sales, like fitness, like real estate, uh, like creative, right? Where, where you can, where raw talent and discipline, uh, might be the, the tools and foundation to really get you through, right? How, how did you compensate for what you lacked in formal education, um, in order to, to, to find yourself successful in being a gym owner and a trainer and owning the gym company? Okay, so I think that determination is the most powerful thing on the planet. So you can you can have PhDs and all that and still not have anything going on. So determination, I think, is the most powerful thing. So for me, that was the motivating factor. And secondly, I've always wanted to actually help people. Always did. I it's it's just in me. It's innate in me. So for me, I didn't want to let people down. So when people talk about success. Um, 
I've made a lot of money in fitness, and I've lost a lot of money. So has it, has it always been successful? If you ask me, have I had a successful fitness career? Absolutely, because I have changed a lot of lives. Now, have I made $10 million? Absolutely not. But I've changed people's lives. So for me, that's success. I am still open. I still have people who call me who still want to train. I still have trainers. So that's the difference between just having a formal education. And I have hired trainers who had PhDs. And I've hired trainers. I mean, I mean, they could tell you every part of the body. And you get them on the floor. And it's like watching paint dry. Okay, so 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 what 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 um, is out there in the world is that um, emotional intelligence oftentimes trumps academic intelligence, and and by emotional intelligence I mean um, the ability for a person to understand uh, where they are emotionally and understand uh, what's required of them emotionally. And then also be able to respond to others in an emotional way that allows them to feel supported, uplifted, and uh, motivated to get things done. So if you if you lack uh, emotional intelligence, uh, I think you find yourself talking uh, down to or talking around people. When you're emotionally intelligent, I think uh, you find yourself connecting with people in a way that allows you to understand what they want from you, but also to understand how you appear to them. And so it's an important distinction to make. And I think it's a, a really great point is that um, if you are emotionally intelligent, then you have the capacity to shift careers, to shift disciplines and do it successfully because you have a very clear idea of how you present in the world and how the world responds to you and what's needed of you to be effective in the world. When you're not, you're just, you're just telling people that you know things and, and that doesn't necessarily equate to being successful. I agree. But I also think, I think too, when you're emotionally intelligent, I think that you also have the ability to hire people who have things that you don't have. If you don't have a degree, you don't have a degree. If, if you're not, if you, if you are not great in physiology, if, if you're, you don't have a doctorate, you don't have a doctorate. Doesn't mean you can hire someone who has one. Or you can watch right? YouTube videos. Right. Or watch YouTube videos. Well, right? Watch YouTube videos. Right? So I, I do think that you... With that, you, you do have to get out of your own way. So emotional intelligence is very important because you have to get out of your own way. It's not, I know everything. I don't need to know everything. I need to be smart enough to realize whatever I'm missing, I can hire. What I'm missing, I can hire. Okay, so so are you are you solely doing physical uh, training now? No, only physical training? Okay, you're retired. So you did retire. Yes. So I you successfully retire. retired. Amen. All right, so you retired. So, <laughs> so you plan to retire. You actually retired. I am, you just I am, retired I am. two years later than you thought I, you I, were. Yes. Well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the thing is, this I am retired, but I did I did start training again this year because two of my long term clients who have been with since day one. Uh, yeah, because I was gonna say, guys, low key, he asked me the last time we saw each other if I wanted to train. Well, so I was gonna be yeah, like, that's because he's my homie. But that's a different thing. Oh, I mean, I still pay. I pay like everybody else. I pay. Um, so, 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 listen. So, so, what do you currently do? <laughs> I work. I, I actually, you know, I work in finance. I'm a broker again. Um, there was. A Wait, you're a broker again? I was a broker once. When were you a broker? 
<laughs> when did this? This never came up in this conversation. When were you a broker? Because you, because you were speed racing me, man. I, I sure do. Listen, because we got, we got, we got an hour to get through a, a fifty-something year old life. I like, was trying to get you through your diet I, I know, <laughs> I know. Listen, I got, I got, I got to ask. Listen, the folks need to know oh, some clarifying so questions. Seven thousand dollars in rent. I didn't know if that was your personal rent or your gym's rent. That so I, I needed to understand. So, so we got to, we got to, we got to sometimes dissect the conversation so that we're all clear about what's happening. Just here. so you know, I was a broker at one time in 1993. I have a series. Ooh, that was the good money. Right. That was the Wall Street money. Uh, right, right. Y'all were all coke right. heads. Right, but there was no rules. <laughs> <laughs> but that's another conversation. Exactly, y'all were So, that. yeah. Anyway, um, but I am back in finance, but I work for Merchant Cash Advances, things like that. Okay, so, so you are helping... A small, medium-sized business, I would imagine, to to get some level of funding in order to successfully grow or fund some part of their business. Yeah. All right. So, so what skill sets that you previously had, or that you recognize that you previously had, allowed you to be successful in this specific role? I think as a business owner, um, I can relate to them. I think as a small business owner, I can really relate to them. I can relate to their struggles. So when they say they're struggling to pay their rent, I can relate to that. When they say they're struggling to pay their payroll, I get it. When they say they don't know how to market and advertise, I get it. So I'm very relatable because I've lived it all. So so how did you guys do during the sort of PPP run of of the government sort of funding folks? Was that a I difficult time? Was that a Okay. okay. Yo, he is falling out for himself, guys. I don't know if you hear that. He like the points that I should be laughing. He just falls out for himself. I love it. He's like his own. He's 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 his own wingman. All right. So so PPP was happening, and you said you were doing well. Was that across the industry? Where was the industry doing well as a whole, or was that something that was based on your own effort? Well, okay. So with PPP and things like that, you need to remember that there are small businesses all over this country, millions. Yep, and a lot of them, a majority of them, don't get it. Got they it. Don't get PPP. I own, I own a gym. I didn't get it. Well, did not you get? Did you get an SBA loan? loan? No, I did not. Okay. Not only do I own a gym, I also own a maid service. That's another story. I didn't get it for either one. Wait, so, pause, pause. You can't just throw in a maid service and think that that's just going to fly <laughs> as a as so a as I a, a throwaway. No, 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 no. This is Man versus Brand podcast. Your body, your machine. You can do whatever you want to, but uh, for here, you're gonna you're gonna answer the question. So listen. So you had a maid service. So so I actually was a member and a paying customer for the maid service. So talk to us about what got you to the maid service and when did that happen? When did that happen in the timeline that we know today? So. Well, the main service was something that it was more of a family thing. My brother was, uh, he had a uh, maid service and he was struggling with it. And because I remember the maid service working for the gym, I remember it doing yes. uh, in house stuff. Yes. When, when did the maid service thing start? Was this post the hospitality? Was this during the gym? Was this post the gym? The maid like, service started during uh, the gym. And it was pre, it was pre, uh, COVID. Okay. And again, my brother's business was struggling. So, so in a time period where you were already doing 12 hours working in the gym yes, sir. and working in your business mm-hmm. and trying to figure out how to balance working on your business and, uh, and being a human being for lack of a better term, wow. uh, you were also, uh, working on this maid service business. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and at that point in your life, I would imagine you felt really busy. Yeah, you do. You feel busy, and, and you and um. And so, what? What did? What? What? What did that? 
what did that feel like? Like what, 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 what shifts you from having all of that responsibility to going, you know what, I'm going to work, um, in the lending space. I'm going to work in help, uh, small businesses to succeed and take a lot of that work off of myself. What shifts you is the experience of it all. I think that, you know, life is about experiences and you learn and I have learned that it's not what you do, it's how you do it and how you execute it. And all the experiences from the gym to the maid service and the restaurant business have, have made me and prepared me for what I do now when it comes to merchant cash advances. So I think this shift was for me a natural shift. It was something that was supposed to happen because again, I worked in finance before. But at the time, I was not prepared. I'm more prepared now because of all the struggles I've gone through, everything that I've seen. So I'm better prepared because of it. Um, it was a natural shift for me, but I think it was also what was supposed to happen in my life. Okay, so so I um, am a person who uh, doesn't subscribe fundamentally and instinctually to the organic, natural approach. Oh, yeah, I, I, I believe that um, that we as individuals um, move with some level of intent and some level of purpose in order to get us through to the next thing. And I think that um, oftentimes uh, what is um, – what is an outlying experience, right? Like this job just fell on my lap, um, becomes the stories that are most told, um, but that are the stories that aren't most representative of the average experience. Most average people have to decide, I'm gonna divorce myself of the gym, I'm gonna divorce myself of training, I'm gonna divorce myself of, of this maid service, and I'm gonna focus my attention on this aspect. Now, what I will say is, is that it do, it doesn't necessarily have to be correlative or uh, have some level of causation. And, and let me explain what, what I mean. Is that two events don't have to happen uh, in relationship to one another as a cause and effect. Right. And, and two instances or two things that happen that happen around the same time aren't necessarily no. uh, together, right? Um, but I will say that there, there are things that motivate and inform us to make some level of decision, right? So, so what was so COVID was happening, um, the the gym was suffering a bit, uh, and you had to make a choice about your own personal life. Yeah. What and, and you wanted to previously, as you stated, you wanted to retire. So that so at some point, the idea of leaving this business was a thought of yours. Right at, at what what became the determining factor that you would leave this business model altogether and go into a whole different business model? Like what what was that like? Because I imagine it's not just natural. There's some level of thought, deliberation, um, some level of intent that says well, I'm going to leave this space and move into another. It's, space. it's not it's not that it's natural or unnatural. There are a lot of people who have been very successful in life and who have reinvented themselves how many times, got bank, bank, went through bankruptcy how many times, and finally became millionaires and found their place in life. So I don't think that is so much what's natural. It, it was just a progression for me. When I say I didn't, I didn't leave fitness, I'm terrible. I still have my company. So I didn't leave fitness. What I had to do was figure out where I stand versus 
fifty something years old as opposed to when I was thirty five years old. I had to figure out where I stand and where I'm headed. So I don't think it's about a choice as it is about mapping out where you are going. So it, it was there was never a moment where I said to myself, Oh, this is it, I'm giving up my gym. This is it. I'm closing the maid service. This is it. I need to retire. It was more, this is it. I need to be successful and secure. Okay, pause, pause. Because I think that, so what you're describing is intent, right? Like that's, I think, an important part, right? Because there, we, we wouldn't be talking if everyone could naturally consist, consistently shift into other careers and become millionaires, right? Like there, there has to be some level of thought process around it. Okay. There has to be some, some, some unifying factors around, um, uh, success, right? Some, some fundamental skill sets that you have that will allow you in scale to be proportionately more successful than the next person, right? So uh, attributing it to just it happened is no. I, I think is, is, is I think a lot of people can say that, right? No. But I think I think it's important to really dissect the thoughts and and the feelings and and the concerns and the factors that allow us to move from space to space, but to move into those spaces in a way in which. We understand what that is so that when we move into our next space, we're, we're applying those same methodologies, those same thought patterns, those same habits to whatever we engage in next, right? And, and so, so with that said, COVID was an external factor. Yeah, but if you remember what I said to you at the top of this uh, podcast, podcast yeah. <laughs> determination is most powerful than your plan. Oh, that wasn't the I, top. I, that was like the middle. I am a firm believer in that. I was firmly so, in the middle. When you say what was it, for me, it was my determination. But, that determination, let me finish. Okay. Is the consistency between all those things. So I am determined to be successful. So when your determination is at a such it's at such a level, I'm not gonna say it makes it easier, but what it, what it, but what it does do is enables you to do things that you probably that most people think that you can't do. You know how many people told me at 35 years old you should not try to be a trainer? You know how many people told me that I should not go back into finance? If I listened to them, I wouldn't be successful. Sure. So wait, wait, but 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 I, have a, but I have a I have a but I have a I have a a, a, a clarifying point because you are going to and. And I want, I want to kind of backtrack because I want to lay out some level of course for people who are listening and engaging in the material, right? So, so you were at the precipice of deciding to retire. Mm -hmm. um, COVID happened and it changed your business model. Yes. And so your, de your decision was one in which you could stay in what you were doing and, and not progress as an individual or you could pivot and do something that you had already done or something new right so so there were some factors that led to a decision yes okay that's that's all i want to say because no, 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 because no, no, it's no. not just it's not just one day you just woke up and said no, i'm gonna no, do no, it no, no, you you, no, no, you had a clear there were no, some no. clear things that were occurring that informed your decision yeah, and that based your decision yeah, to be clear there are always factors that 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 affects your decision. But if you're determined, you don't allow those factors to deter you 
They're always factors. Of course not. But they're always listen. They were factors pre-COVID. You you think I didn't struggle with rent before COVID? You think that I didn't struggle with hiring trades before COVID? Sure. There's always factors. Be clear. Of, of course. The difference is your determination when it comes to getting past those factors. Well, I, I guess I guess so. Determination for me seems a bit ubiquitous, meaning it just seems a bit large, right? And so. So when, 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 when you say determination, I'm trying to, for the sake of, of the podcast, the audience, my own clarity around your process, around your journey, right? Cause this is your journey, not mine, yes. um, is, is to differentiate the fact that you can be determined to stay in the same space that you're in and fail, or you can be determined to read the room Look at the mitigating factors and shift. Right. So determination can actually not be something that benefits you. Right. It can it can be something that that le- that 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 compels you to keep moving forward, even though the signs are telling you that something is happening. Right. So I think what's important, and and, and that's what I'm, I think I'm trying to. I, I, think, I think what you're missing is is the determination to succeed. So by determination, what do you mean? So when I say determination, when I say determination is most powerful in this planet, what it means is you're determined to succeed in life. Now, we've all have had ideas from childhood, thinking they were going to be doctors and lawyers and singers and dancers and things like that. The difference between all those ideas and those dreams are your determination. If you're determined to succeed in small business, to, to address what we're talking about, no matter what happens, you figure out a way to make it happen for you. You want to try to be successful in your life. Now, if it doesn't work out, that's okay too. That's okay. Determination means you follow it through till the end. And if it doesn't work out, you have the satisfaction of knowing that you did everything you could do to make that thing work and you can move on. And for me, it cuts out all the what ifs. I would have, should have, could have. I did everything I could do. If it didn't work, I can deal with that. All right, so um, I believe in uh, learning-based growth. Yeah. So, so I believe that um, that uh, a predictor of success uh, typically is that you have a clear understanding of what has occurred, uh, both in your personal life and in your professional life, to understand your capacity to be in, uh, engaged in what you're doing. And in your industry's availability or your audience's availability to be receptive to what you're about to do. Um, and then based on that, you move forward. Um, in spaces where people aren't learning based, and I think they're more experience based, they just are feeling and they're not learning from those feelings. Uh, you can be in a space of determination, but not necessarily understand the ecosystem that you're working in Absolutely. and whether that ecosystem is going to work for you. Absolutely. And I, but I think there are successes and failures on both sides. Wouldn't you agree? Sure. I mean, I, I think, I think it's, it's an interesting thing of whether, you know, the, the outlying experience or the one that isn't the average one is the one that gets told about the most, like specifically in small businesses, you always hear about the guy who slept in their car to be successful. Yes. There's a lot of people that didn't have to sleep in their cars to be successful, but those aren't the stories that motivate people the most. No. And so the ones that we tend to hear are the ones that are are the most 
um, that that are the most um, unlikely to happen, but that make us feel the best about them. Those instances happen. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I I think that, like I said, when it comes to success, it depends on what you consider success. I do believe that I've had a very successful career when it comes to changing people's lives. Now, I've had my ups and downs in business. I have. Um, transparent with that because it's important to be transparent. If anyone's going into small business and entrepreneurship, it's not easy. I think what makes it easier is if you love what you do. I've always loved fitness. I've always loved helping people. So when it comes to changing people's lives, I am more successful than I can tell you. I have, I have had clients who've lost 300 pounds. You understand? I've had clients who have not been able to walk and run a marathon. So that kind of determination is what I'm talking about. So that, that's successful to me. So, so what if someone is listening and they don't know what they're good at? They don't know the thing that will create for them an entrepreneurial business, a small business. How does one start assessing their own self to figure out what they have that will be considered valuable to another person, an audience, a consumer, in order for them to be successful? What do you think? I think that, uh, first of all, go for what you're passionate about and then do the research and acquire the knowledge. If I, if I had to say I have any regrets about my uh, professional career, I wish that I had finished school. I wish I had got my degree. These things are true. These things are true. I have friends who have PhDs and master's degrees, this, that, the other, and they don't own their own business, but they have something that I I do not have. They have the degree, and there's something to be said about that. So I say passion. Okay. And get the proper knowledge. Okay. And apply it. Take, Take the two, what I'm saying and what you're saying, D, and put it together. Okay. You know what I mean? Because I think that at the end of the day, if you don't love what you do, it becomes a job. When you love what you do, it's not just, it's, it's a journey. I don't regret any of the time that I've spent doing what I've done. Not one day of it. Except for not going to school. That's what you said to say. They're not going to school. In regards to fitness, though. In regards to changing people's lives. And I started this business because I wanted. I started out in fitness. That one changed my life. I was two hundred sixty-five pounds. Well, it was about me. So, so I, I want to get to to your point about um, about regretting not uh, getting your degree because I think uh, you find that a lot of individuals in the entrepreneurial space are not formally educated to the degree in which they plan to run their company. Um, You have a lot of CEOs that only have uh, BAs. You have some with MAs. You have some that just had no formal training or dropped out of school to pursue some level of entrepreneurial effort. And the thing that they are famous for being entrepreneurs now is typically not the same thing that they started when they began their career, right? Um, What I think, though, uh, when you hear people typically talk about uh, getting their degrees, I think what we end up talking about is a level of completion, mm-hmm. right? That 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 if you're someone who is completion focused, right, where where a, a level of complete is what satisfies you, 
a level of complete is what what motivates you to get to the next space, then you will oftentimes look back at your life and look at things that you did not complete and go, I wish I would have done it. Yes. Getting a degree is completely a personal decision. Some people do it, some people don't. Uh, people, there are tons of successful people that never got it. There are tons of successful people that have it. There are tons of uh, not successful people that have PhDs that are probably working for you right now. Yes, there are tons of, are. as you said, in your, your training thing. Um, but I think fundamentally what it comes down to is is whether your passion actually matches efficacy, right? That you've yes. actually done what you said you were going to do. And you did it to a point in which uh, you had no other choice but to stop it or to continue it. Um, and and that, I think, folks, is is what we talk about when we talk about completion. Yeah, well said. I agree. So do you have any plans for uh, what you're going to do after you're done in the lending space? Or what's, what's your plans for that? You know, the funny thing is uh, the lending space has enabled me to do uh, – to help others, um, like um, I'm, I'm, I'm starting, I'm starting an association for uh, young moms and mothers who can't afford to get personal training, and I'm trying to start a non for profit for that. I think the living space is helping me to fuel my passion when it comes to helping people. Um, like I said, I always wanted to be able to help people, and sometimes because you want to help a person doesn't mean you know how to. It does take knowledge and direction and things like that. So. And it does take money. So what I'm doing now is feeding that, is fueling that, because I, I'm still a helper. Whether I'm a personal trainer, whether I'm funding for, for a single mom to get to get in shape and get a life together, I'm still a helper. And I, I think that's uh, what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. All right, so if you're in this space now, how much would you say now uh, financial literacy contributes to someone successfully owning and running their business? I think that financial literacy, I think it's huge. I think that uh, when it comes to passion, that's a wonderful thing. But if you don't know the numbers, if you don't know the numbers game, if you really don't know how to break it down, you are missing something that's crucial when it comes to being successful monetarily, when it comes to the numbers. If you want to be a millionaire, you got to know how to play the game. Or I think you 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 have to you have to not be afraid of the numbers, not be afraid of getting into the numbers, getting yeah. into credit, getting into available income to you. Uh, that that fundamentally, if the the finances of running a business is something that um, seems like it is a space that you don't want to enter that you either have two choices. You need to find a trusted advisor that can support you in understanding it better, not do it for you, but help you understand it better so that you can make smart decisions. Uh, or you need to find a, a way to understand it for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I really, I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right because it's really true. I, like I said, I really do believe that you need to hire people who have, who bring a skill set to the table that you don't have truth of the matter is i mean that is just the truth and it's okay to say that you don't have that skill set it's not okay to pretend that you do and not be able to get the job done so it does take like you said emotional intelligence so uh so if if i'm listening right now and i'm considering 
shifting from my current business into a space of entrepreneurship, what are the top three things that I should be thinking of right now? Passion. Passion. Knowledge. Knowledge. And you got to have a plan. You got to have a plan. You got to have a plan. So did you write your own, did you write a business plan out for your no, businesses? No. or you Again, again, you're talking to, <laughs> I wish I had. I should have known you then, D. <laughs> no, um, no, I didn't write. I didn't write. I mean, you're talking to someone who determination was the most powerful thing he had, and passion. Um, I was smart enough to hire people that know a lot more than I do, and even doing that, I've made a lot of mistakes when it comes to small business. If I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't change the passion. I would I, now, now I wouldn't change determination, but the knowledge of the business. Because when you don't know, a lot of times small business owners they throw things at the wall and they try to figure out what's going to stick. I was no different. So, um, I'm going to framework this because I think that there's a, a balance. I yeah. think that um, I think it's important to have a business plan. I think it's important to have a fully flushed business plan and have an, a strategy that is based on um, your own understanding of the marketplace, your understanding of your competitors, your understanding of the opportunity of your business to be successful, a clear understanding around the finances, the personnel that you need to hire in order for that business to be successful, and to project some level of what does success look like in a two, five, ten year span. I think it's also, and, and probably... Um, intuitively but not intuitively important to also understand the idea of minimally viable product and what minimally viable product says mvp it means that your uh your concept doesn't need to be fully flushed that uh, folks don't really need to understand uh, your concept in a, a granular way that if you give them an example of it they can really uh, come to understand that concept and whether it'll be valuable for them. So an example is if I say, hey, I'm going to create uh, an app that allows you to be picked up by a car and that app will allow you to pay for that car via a secure uh, credit card or third party that you would know when the uh, car is going to pick you up. Uh, when it will drop you off at your destination, you can map that destination, you know who the driver is, uh, you know how much the ride is going to cost you, you can determine whether you want to buy that ride for that cost, and all along the way, uh, there is customer support for you while you're taking that journey. If I was to say that to you, Sean, like, is that something that you'd want to do, would you say yes or no? All right, right, and that that is fundamentally Uber, right? And so Uber didn't need to have this kind of fully thought out business plan first. Their first thing was to really understand whether their their customer base or whether the audience or whether there was space in the audience for something like them. That if people who were um, concerned about the taxi experience, if there was space for them to want something more. And so I think to what you're saying, Sean, is that sometimes you don't need to have a fully thought out business plan. Sometimes you just need to go with a concept and fund it and see if people are interested in it. And and maybe the business plan comes second, right? Once you understand whether this thing is gonna be viable, right? Because that's the idea of, of minimally viable product is that it has to be viable in the market yeah. that you can then uh, you can then pursue it and pursue it in a way that allows you to get investment, that allows you to get 
uh, people on board to support it uh, and to 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 get it out to a public that is ready to engage with it. Yes, you know, and to your point, I do believe that um, like even in finance right now, I always tell my reps who work for me, don't fall in love with your deal for a merchant because if your deal is not sellable, if we can't get it funded, we can't get it funded. So it's okay. You, I want you to be passionate about what it is you want to do. But if there is not a need for that passion, and it may not work. By line, it may not work. There's no need for the passion. It may not work. Don't fall in love just because it's a great idea just to you. Is it? Can it? Can it serve the need of of the community? Can it serve the need of this country? Can it serve the need of the general population? So. Fall in love with just your own idea, I don't think it's enough. I do think personal training will always be around simply because people need to learn how to take care of their bodies and themselves. The difference is the ones who have survived COVID are the ones who realize that it's personal and we take it seriously so we give the best of our skill set and we're the ones who will survive. The, the personal trainers? Yeah. Oh. Because most personal trainers I know eat trash and their bodies are because of uh, steroids and stuff. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's not true. That's not true. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Um, all right. All right. Listen. Those, those are the ones that's out here in these streets. Those are the ones on Instagram. All right. So, so, um, all right. So I ask two questions. Everyone knows that I ask two questions uh, at the uh, end of every podcast interview. And, um, it's, it's something that, you know, I think is important because, um, we talk about man versus brands and we talk about that in a way where it's the person and their humanity and it's the business and being an entrepreneur and owner, a team leader, whatever that looks like. But there's also, you know, just, uh, this is what I present to the world and this is what I love to consume. And, and this is the difference between the two. And I think that's important too, that we get to, to own our geekiness, nerdiness, uh, fascinations, um, all of that stuff, right? That, that, that gets to be a part of who you are also. You get to be pu a public figure in the way that people are consuming you in a public space. You get to be a professional figure in the way that you show up as you need to at work. And then you just get to be whatever it is that you are when you're on your couch. And that's what the last questions are about. Who are you when you're sitting on the couch and no one else is there? So, Sean, what are you currently watching on any streaming platform that you thoroughly enjoy? <laughs> All right. So, uh, like I said, I gave my life to God a year ago. So, I watch a lot of religious-based stuff now. And uh, I enjoy it, to be honest with you. You're talking about a guy who's been wow most of his life, but I enjoy. I, I watch a lot of Joyce Myers on YouTube and TD Jakes. Wait, so that's Joyce Myers? Yes. And TD Jakes? Yes. Okay, and you watch them on YouTube? Yes. All right, cool. And um, things like that. I, I do. I do download the Bible. I read the Bible a lot. I know you're probably falling asleep on me right now, but this is the truth. I mean, is, is that is the Bible on Amazon right now? Like, what's up? Is it, is it on you Netflix right know. now? You would I know. sure would. I sure would. But yes. Um, you see these new Christians? Oh, they so they so hyped in Christ. Baby like they Christ. act like no, they just, like nobody found Jesus before them. All right. So 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 Joyce Myers. CD Jakes, you're watching them, you're consuming their content. Um, what? So what? What are you? What are you? What? 
what are you watching or what have you watched that people would be surprised to know that you watched? Like, what's not, what doesn't obviously represent Sean, but is something that you like to consume because it's personal to you? Like, what, what's something on a streaming uh, channel? All right, so you're going to laugh. You're really going to laugh. Go. I, I, right, we've heard so, the gamut here, so go. <laughs> I'm a big fan of two things. Okay. I'm a huge fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. All right, Josh, Josh Whedon, you know, he's coming Dude. under fire, but we love Buffy anyway. The universe is amazing. Yes. And the reason why is because she gets her ass kicked constantly, but uh, she never gives up. So when it comes to small business and, and in my life, I can relate to that. Like You're a slayer? What? You're a slayer. I'm a slayer. You're a slayer. I'm a slayer. All right. Baby. All right. So are you, are you, are you, are you, are you more Buffy or are you more Faith? No, I'm, be- I'm definitely Buffy. You're definitely Buffy. Definitely Buffy. You're, you're not Faith. No, I'm not Faith. What was the Jamaican one? Aisha? Was that her name? I know. She was on for like a half a season. Yeah, like I have a, yeah, I'm she was on for a little bit. Yo, she's kind of doing her thing. She's, yeah. I can't call her. She was doing her thing. I feel like, yeah, I feel like her name might have been Aisha. Um, all right. So, so Buffy, and then what's the second one? Uh, I would think the second one will probably be, be, um, cause you said so called All of Us. All of us. Yes, on NBC. Okay. And it, it just makes you think about life and the transitions and things that your parents have gone through. And what I love about this show, you know, it's, um, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's about the 60s and the 70s. Wait, is it, are you talking about This Is Us? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all of us. I, I was thinking all in a family. And then I was like, while you were describing it, I was like, oh, he's talking about This Is Us. All right, continue, continue, go. This is that. I okay. like that show, though. It's a good show. All right, cool. It touches my heart. I, I almost want to cry. Oh, it sounds like you want to cry right now. Listen, so uh, so this is us, generational um, drama, comedy, all of that stuff. So um, so you're enjoying and thoroughly enjoying uh, some um, faith-based content, and you, uh, you also like... Uh, uh, sci-fi, fantasy, Wiccan, and generational dramedies. I'm here for it. I think that that <laughs> defines what Man vs. Brand is about. That you can have things that don't obviously fit together and incorporate them into your same space because that's who we are as individuals. We are people that are not defined by one thing or another. That we we exist in this this human life cycle um, to grow, adapt, evolve, to choose the things that we divorce ourselves from and to bring ourselves uh, in alignment with the things that we, we thoroughly just like and we like because we like them. So, so I want to thank... Uh, Sean, who has been in service uh, of people to this country, uh, to those of us that probably should put down the carbs uh, in every way possible to small businesses and helping them get financing. Uh, I think that um, Sean is a really great uh, example of uh, what you can do if you're just diligent and persevere in whatever climate, atmosphere, or ecosystem that you're in. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this talk. Uh, Sean, if someone wants to uh, engage with you, how do they reach out? Where are you at? Well, the best way to reach out to me is my email address, mybodiesright at gmail.com. Wait, my body is right. Is that all spelled out? My body's right. Okay. Y-B-O-D-I-E-S at gmail.com. Yes, sir. Okay. So my body is right at gmail.com. And uh, if 
Um, if you want to find out more about Sean, about getting financing, about uh, personal training, uh, then please reach out to him. Uh, your body, your machine is uh, searchable and discoverable on every uh, uh, search engine platform. So it's something that you guys can uh, very quickly and easily engage with. Uh, I want to, again, thank Sean for this talk. Uh, thank you guys for listening in. I appreciate you all, and I'm going to catch you next time. All right? Have a good one. Peace. Bye.